Hello, and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Every week, we look for opportunities to connect with uh, a various uh, group of reporters and content generators and thoughtful people in the in the journalism space. Today, I am lucky enough to host Joanne Levine, who's the executive producer for uh, a whole bunch of different uh, properties and opportunities at CQ Roll Call. She is actually a nominee from a previous guest, my uh, former guest, uh, Sean Zeller, who's also at CQ Roll Call. Joanne, thank you so much for being with me. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So Joanne, tell me a little bit about how it is you got to be in this particular space, uh, because this is an emerging space, changing space, evolving change. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your background and how it is you came to be at CQ Roll Call. Sure. Um, I'm not going to take you back 30 years because I've been (laughs) in the business 30 years. Um, But I I can sort of uh, talk about how I got into audio. Ah, Um, So my career started out, um, I always wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And that was always my passion, uh, covering the world. And I lived in Moscow for three years, and I covered the Middle East. And I did a lot of work overseas, um, and explaining the world to Americans. Um, when I first got to Moscow, I was hired by what was then um, a local English language newspaper. Mm-hmm. But I was always, as a sort of independent freelancer at the time, I knew that if I could do television, if I could do what was then called radio and print, I was going to have more opportunities. So I would say that I called myself trimedial before there was multimedia and I was always ambidextrous. I was really, um, uh, I was really taken by uh, broadcast and television in in particular because of the visual aspect. Um, Fast forward, I, I worked for ABC News for about 10 years. Um, I worked for Al Jazeera English, where I was the head of current affairs and documentary programming. I did a stint at the State Department as a senior advisor um, and then was a consultant uh, for about six years before I wound up here. But during that time of being on my own and sort of figuring out what is it that I really want to do? And what I've always really wanted to do is tell stories or help people tell stories. And um, I was really intrigued by audio. Um, So um, I was intrigued by audio and quite frankly, the type of storytelling that I uh, like to do was Fewer and far between, less and less places were doing sort of longer in-depth stories, um, not just talking heads. And the place that I found that was most aligned with what I was doing at the moment was NPR. So I started there 
as an editor, senior editor, and then as a supervising editor for mm -hmm. Weekend Edition. And when I joined um, and started working there, podcasts were just really beginning, right? I mean, they had started, but it wasn't on everyone's tip of the tongue, right? Sure, and sure. what I found with audio was that it was a way, there, there is an intimacy about audio. There is, um, you know, whether someone's driving or you're walking, but there is an intimacy that you don't have in other mediums. And I quite liked it. And um, that's what drew me to it. So I started off, you know, working for, I guess, what's considered old fashioned radio, right. uh, the, some of their flagship shows. But it's how do you tell these stories? Um, and how do you make them sing? And how do you make it so uh, it's, it's really a conversation sure. and someone, the best podcasts today are the ones where it really is a conversation and people feel like they're, you know, getting to be part of this intimate dialogue, mm -hmm. um, no matter what the dialogue's about, whether sure. it's entertainment, whether it's politics, whether it's policy. Um, I got to CQ roll call, uh, Someone, uh, someone I knew said this was right after they were bought by their current owner, which is Fiscal Note, uh -huh. and they had uh, ambitions to beef up what they were doing in the mm -hmm. podcast space. Um, and I've always been, not always, but the at least the last decade, I'm someone who has been brought in to do a lot of startups, develop programming ideate, come up with an idea, and then make it happen. So this was um, a great opportunity for me. So that's how I wound up at CQ Roll Call. Well, that's great. Well, I mean, and it, it makes a ton of sense. And I love the way you talk about that, about how it's a conversation and, and that that's really the the model that seems right now to be the one that folks are paying uh, close attention to. It's certainly the model that, that this podcast follows. And so I'm grateful to know we're, uh, we're keeping on trend here. Um, but I'm curious for you because you have developed so many different kinds of products over the course of your time and how the podcast has evolved and changed. Do you think that uh, there's a specific trend that you feel like we're, we're headed towards? Do you think that podcasts will continue to grow? Do you think that there's, um, just like anything else, you remember the time when the talk show was the hottest thing there, everybody had a right. talk show and then there was sort of, a, you know, a evolution yeah. and change. How do you see the podcast, um, you know, because everybody has one now, you know, folks like me who right. aren't really journalists and then journalists have them. Um, what kinds of trends, what kinds of new and sort of, you know, cutting edge things are you seeing that are interesting to you as you look forward to be, because you are coming up with new and fresh ideas all the time? Right. So, I mean, look, there is such a wide gamut and I would call it the world of audio rather than the world of podcasting even because... Sure. First of all, anyone can do it. It's it's a you know, you have to know how to press record. Um, <laughs> even if you even if you elevate to a microphone, it's yeah. it's even a luddite like myself, uh, I can do it. <laughs> um, you know, getting into more sophisticated storytelling that has music and lots of different voices um, is you know, there, there is definitely skill and art form involved in producing it. And sure. I've been at the helm of podcasts, both for CQ Roll Call and others, where it's narrative, where 
and we did a six-part series. Um, it was one of the first things we did that I innovated. It was called Oversight, and it was looking at um, a story. Uh, we took congressional investigations and used it as a jumping-off point and told uh, the story in a sort of a true crime fashion. And that's oh, very awesome. different from sure the podcast that when the pandemic broke and you know we were sent home with our computers i remember this so clearly wednesday of the week in march 2020 we were like take home your computers i think mm -hmm. we're going to be closing the office thursday was like okay stay home and friday morning i got a call saying you need to figure something out to we want a daily podcast that deals with the coronavirus so yeah. um we innovated in terms of taking voices from the newsroom, um, training reporters how to sort of just tell their story in two, two and a half minutes, what they were working on that day, mm -hmm. uh, the top stories and sort of stitching it together. But you, I digress, and you asked me about trends, and I would say, I think people right now are really trying to figure out two things. One, how do you make money? Yeah, yep. <laughs> um, monetize, because look, the top selling podcasts make money because they get sponsorship and, you know, big money sponsorship. But there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. No and, doubt. you know, it sort of reminds me there was a moment where video was king, right? Yeah. And that that has sort of softened a bit because the same issues is uh, how do you monetize it? Mm -hmm. um, some of the more interesting things now, and I haven't been able to figure it out, to be honest, is um, have you heard of the, um, I, I don't even know what to call it. It's uh, an app. Let's call it an app. Clubhouse. Do you know Clubhouse? Yep. So that is interesting. That's sort of the, latest wave where yeah. you had all these like everyone is at the moment now trying to figure out how to get the most out of audio yeah so for the purposes was, for the purposes of people listening yeah. in to joanne because you and i both I'm, I'm like only peripherally familiar with clubhouse but know that it's really a sounding board it's a place where people can drop in uh, set a meeting and start to talk about whatever it is they want to do for as long and as short as they want. And I also understand that all of the other social platforms are trying to figure out if that will work as an add-on to their own platforms also. So it is, anyway, it's just sort of a side note because I, I know I'm familiar with it, but for those who aren't familiar with Clubhouse, I have an account. I, I have 0.0% uh, understanding of how it works other than that I, I can know. listen. I mean, exactly. And I have dropped in and listened yeah, and it can, be, it can, it can be dizzying, right? Yeah. Because there might be 20 conversations going on at once. And I think why it sort of rose to this level of recognition in the public domain is that especially during the pandemic, when people were locked up, you had some very high profile people dropping in on these conversations. No question. So these, are, so these high profile people helped, um, generate a lot of buzz around it. Mm -hmm. um, I think audio also got a boost, quite frankly, from uh, the pandemic. Uh, yeah. Whether it was podcasts or, you know, people were locked up. You can sort of listen to audio and uh, or a podcast or the radio as you're doing things. It's sort of, you know, the old version of the TV on and 
someone cooking dinner. Yeah, talking in the background, yeah. Yeah, and also, quite frankly, during the pandemic, a lot of people, you know, people were walking, right? So Mm -hmm. if you went for an hour-long walk, a lot of people wanted something in their ear. You know, you're not going to be watching. So um, I don't know that I've answered your question in terms of where we are. No, but but it's just that there's so many many different directions it could go. And I think that I'm glad you brought up the pandemic because I'm curious about how someone like you who really does have to be maybe not in the studio, but, but working remote must have taken a minute to adjust. How did that, what did your day look like once you were no longer in the studio? Did you have a home system set up? How did that work for you as term, in terms of being part of that process? So what we did in the beginning is, so we had a couple of main hosts from the newsroom mm-hmm. and those hosts, we, they had already had a microphone set up yeah. So we had to decide those those three were going to keep, you know, those were going to be the three main hosts. And, you know, if other people wound up hosting, we we're just going to have to do without. Um, and it was amazing in a way. I mean, in the beginning, we were sort of hyperventilating, but then it was like, <laughs> everybody this was. Re- yeah. I know, but this it was really easy. Right. Um, the sound quality definitely took a hit. Sure. But it wasn't like staticky or anything. It wasn't as clear. And right. we just actually did our first podcast where both people, the host and the guests, were in the studio for the oh, first cool. time. Nice. And we're like, ah, it sounds so good. Yes. You know, the bell. But it in some ways, here I'll give I'll give an example. It like so many other things during the pandemic in terms of work. Um, the flexibility it afforded was mm-hmm. phenomenal yeah. because it wasn't like getting everyone at the same time, the same place, um, you know, into the studio, the studio ginned up where it, it enabled us to be much more nimble. Mm-hmm. Um, we had <laughs> a, a segment that we had to record and our main producer was about to travel. It got bumped up. I backed him up and recorded, but he was recording literally at the airport with earphones. Mm -hmm. The other person was somewhere else. I was somewhere else. And again, it sounded great. He, he edited the podcast on the plane, right? No way. I listened to it. Yeah. Love it. I mean, we, I said to him, what was interesting is that pre pandemic, we would have been like, okay, we're going to have to cancel because we never thought. And Mm -hmm. now, um, what, you know, sort of for good, the pandemic has provided, you just have to be more nimble, right? And yeah. that flexibility has enabled, um, has enabled us to do more with less. Yeah, quite frankly. And it's a lot more fun. It's supposed to be loose. I mean, I know that these are high, they, they come with a brand name, and they are representing your publication. But I also feel like there's a level of authenticity that goes with a podcast if there's if there's a glitch. It's like listening to the radio way back when. Let's not date ourselves. But way, when we used to tune in the radio, right, a long time ago before there was digital, there was sound interference. And, and we were sort of, um, you know, we were immune to all of that. And I think some of that, as you mentioned, uh, there was a forgiveness during the, pod, during the pandemic um, where, you know, if someone's dog barked in the background during a Zoom, it was no longer a crisis. Whereas before the pandemic, that was really super unprofessional to not have uh, noise or distraction in the background. Um, 
But speaking of distractions, because I know you and I both uh, not only worked from home, but parented from home and schooled from home and did all these things during the uh, the pandemic, I want you to talk to me a little bit about um, the fact that during all of this, while you were producing and doing all this great content, you also uh, took on uh, the mantle of sort of challenging uh, the city of D.C., much as I was sitting here in Alexandria, <laughs> to get these kids back to school. Um and and how did that how does that work for you? Were you uh, were you Joanne? You were obviously Joanne from from DC, but um, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, what what was going on for you guys? I'm sure you're going to tell me a story that sounds like mine, uh, which is why I ask out of curiosity. Uh, I mean, it, look, it, it was it was a crazy year and a half. So mm-hmm. my husband's in law, law enforcement, so he, his job never changed, right? Yeah, but yeah. he was out when no one was out, right? So oh, that yeah. was its own form of stress. My of kids were home. And, um, you know, uh, they weren't five and seven, but my, when the school shut down, my son was in fourth grade and my daughter was in seventh grade. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and basically it was like abracadabra. He went back at school and was in middle school and my daughter abracadabra is in high school and yep. sort of ha- had 14 months. So, Oh, I mean, (laughs) you know, you do what you got to do. And I don't mean it glibly. It was awful. It was awful on a lot of different levels for a lot of different people. Um, uh, You know, we managed the best we could. And some days it was okay. And some days it was really not okay. (laughs) I know. Um, (laughs) You know, it's hard. It's hard to know what to say. I was furious at DCPS because I feel like they just completely bailed on um, opening schools when we had the moment, we had the chance, they weren't listening to science. Yeah. I really same in uh, Alexandria city, same, same, same. Mm -hmm. I put my face forward because, and, uh, one of my closest friends and I, we decided to just write an op-ed and we got it into the Washington post. And then from there it was picked up and I went on a couple of different TV, uh, spots to sort of, I I became typecast as an angry white parent. That was okay. I mean, that's okay. You were fighting for your kids. And I, it was super well done op-ed. And the reason why I bring it up is because, I mean, your, your story and the way you sort of illustrated that really spoke to people like myself who were having a similar experience. Uh, My kids are right around the same age. uh, And they were home for 18 months and I hardly judge myself for how many times they ate Oreos for dinner and, uh, and barely got by in, you know, their academic schooling. But the social piece too, for me more than anything else is the one that I still worry the most about, um, in terms of their development, because our kids are kind of at, they're not the littles and the the parents of the littles had a whole different struggle that was like real, so real. I don't even know how, they and plenty of them said no thanks I can't do it anymore I can't I can only do one or the other and parenting comes first um but I only ask because so much of what you did you know we were sort of doing behind the scenes trying to figure out how to you know manage our business manage our um you know our careers and also you know figure out how to keep these uh, these humans schooled while also you know doing everything else that we need to do and it was it was a hard struggle and it's not over yet I, I really think we're still sort of in it yeah, I mean, I think we're in it. I think, you know, each kid has, um, you know, and each family has their own story. Um, my son was able to go back a little bit earlier. They called it 
in DC cares first, which was like, it was zoom school. Uh, but it was in school, uh-huh. but it was still all virtual with like a babysitter, but even that it. was better. Cause it was like getting him out of the house yeah, structure, all the rest, but, and we're not going to know for, I mean, we're not going to know for a long time what the residual, we have friends whose kids are suffering from anxiety. We have, you know, there are different issues to different families. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, everyone, look, people muddle through and um, there were certainly those moments. I mean, everyone in the newsroom knows my dog that happens to be a very vocal and active dog because, <laughs> in the, you know, <laughs> Um, I would try and I didn't have an office. So, and there was really, uh, my daughter worked in her room, my son worked in his room and I worked in sort of the kitchen space. Yeah. Um, and that was fine until about three o'clock. Right. And everyone was gathered there. So, you know, look, you make do, I will say that zoom calls definitely had my dog, my son, my, my daughter, my husband appearing. (laughs) Lots of special guests. (laughs) Yeah. But the podcast did not, you know, we weren't going, there's a difference. We were not going live, right. We weren't going. um, And there was a couple of times where we recorded and someone's dog was barking. And if the host was good, they made a joke and, you know, it could pivot and sort of include it in. So it wasn't just this background noise, but um, yeah, I mean, look, we're not out of it, but we're certainly so far ahead of where we were when I think about a year ago, um, I shudder, you know, it's just, yes, I know. Um, so. Cause it was the start of the new year that where they were not going back. And that's, yep. and that's where we were. I mean, we certainly, we were like not going back and I just, it was one of those, I, I can't believe how short ago that feels and how like a lifetime ago that feels. Uh, it was just, it was, there, please. Yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to say there are lots of residuals now. I mean, there's a teacher shortage. I, I don't know. know if you've experienced it, but mm-hmm. there, there are certain classes that kids didn't have a teacher for the first six weeks. There's yep. no substitutes. I mean, the, the pandemic, you know, the, impact of it and the, the ripple effects, it's going to take, you know, a decade to, to reveal all itself. And I can tell you, I mean, my daughter less, but my son totally, you know, really suffered um, academically. Mm-hmm. It was big learning loss yeah. and still not caught up. And, no, same. You know, it is what it is. I, you know, we'll do the best we can, but I got to the point where at the end of last year, I was so sympathetic. He was on Zoom longer than I was. I mean, being, you know, back-to-back Zooms for eight hours a day uh, is brutal for anyone, let alone for anybody. Absolutely, and right at that age. I mean, I, I'm a grown-up, and I hate it. <laughs> I still am reluctant to get yeah. on the camera when I when I don't have to. I don't because I know that you know everybody's got that kind of fatigue, and it's not just it's not just the kids, right? It's on the parents yeah. and it's on everybody else that's involved. It's on, it's also on the news. And I'm curious to, if we can just for a minute, pivot back to sure. sort of content for you only because, um, I mean, luckily you can get guests and they can be remote, but the Capitol has really been just this like tremendous place over the course of the last, I mean, January 6th sort of yeah. sticks out in my mind, right? As sort of a moment when 
there has really been a change um, in terms of approach to media and um, the connection to media. It's part of the reason why I built the podcast in the first place because I wanted to highlight the different um, roles that people played and the different kinds of beats that people cover. Talk to me a little bit about, if you will, Joanne, because you do have so many um, programs and different um, platforms that you work on at uh, at your publication, talk to me a little bit about the products that you produce. Like, tell me a little bit about um, what it is that that programming is today, so folks know to tune in and, and pay attention to what you're doing. Sure. I mean, so we have uh, scaled in, in some ways. Um, I got to say, we've scaled back a little bit. Um, there was, yeah, the pandemic. We were we were flat out constant. Um, we had a couple of weekly podcasts that we were doing. Um, uh, one has now, one I developed was called, uh, it was with Sean Zeller and it was called CQ Future. And it was really this moment, like we we're in the middle of history, right? And yeah. we all knew that things were, were changing as we spoke and were going to change. So we try to take different policies, different industries and sort of, go to people involved in them and experts and sort of say, okay, you know, what next? Mm-hmm. Where, what's going to happen to restaurants? What's going to happen to, you know, telehealth? What's going to happen to, you know, that was a big breakthrough yeah. telehealth. And that was, that was a good one. As far as I'm concerned, recently my daughter needed a, a slight checkup before a procedure. Mm-hmm. And in the past that would have been a half day. She would have missed school. We got on a telehealth, you know, and it was fabulous, right? Yeah. And that is, there are some. Some of the silver effects. linings. Mm-hmm. So we were doing um, coronavirus a special report, which was pretty much for a year, day in, day out, yeah. figuring out what the newsroom was covering. You know, CQ Roll Call does what it does amazingly. But, you know, we don't want to, I, I can say with the podcast, um, I do. I'm not trying to compete with NPR because I'm not going to be able to, right? No, their sure not. Sources and that their mm-hmm. breath. So it was trying to figure out like what are the policy issues that we're covering, um, that we're doing differently or better or more in depth. Um, and I got to say, like the health team was amazing, and we had a reporter who was dedicated to covering vaccines way before the vaccine even came out. So we were like really ahead of the curve on that. That doesn't surprise me. You guys have had that great reputation for so long as having all these great, just tremendous policy experts. So that's awesome to know. Right. And it was, you know, it was one of the things I am proud of is that I was able to sort of get people in the newsroom comfortable of like, okay, you've written this print story, right? Mm Mm-hmm let's pretend we can see one another and we're in a coffee shop. Tell me about the story. You know, like you're talking to your mom. Tell me, tell me what the story is about. Oh, that's interesting. And, and it was amazing how many people were really took to it. You know, it was a great, it wasn't a heavy lift. Some people wanted to write a script because they felt more comfortable, but I try to guide people saying, you know, if you just write bullet points, you know, the story you're reporting on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was great. Then I also developed, um, but we've put 
coronavirus special report to bed, which yeah. thank God. Which makes a lot, I bet. Well, yeah. but it makes a lot of sense because so you're, you're actually seeing trends and you're looking for opportunities and you're developing content and, and you're seeing, you're not going to ride it until it's the, the issue is, is dead. You're going to, you're going to share content that's rich and, and, and relevant and then you're going to find a place to transition and you're going to develop something new and fresh to keep your audience coming back. Is that right? Well, in a perfect world, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, not the summer of 2020, and it took us till the fall to launch it just because there were certain hoops. But um, when June occurred and Black Lives Matter uh, really sort of uh, peaked, if you will, and mm-hmm. there were the protests uh, near the White House, and um, I realized that there was a real gap that we were covering there wasn't anyone looking consistently at politics and policy through the prism of race and social justice. Um, And there was all this, there was a lot of talk in the air. That's when people started talking about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, We were covering some of it, but quite frankly, I felt like, you know, a white man should not be, helming yeah uh, absolutely you know, so sure one of our columnists who's african-american award-winning journalist was fabulous so we i asked her if she'd be interested in it once i got the green light and i'm really proud of that podcast because i feel like we were you know we're either ahead of the curve or right on on the cusp of that wave and we've done some really i can't wait to listen stories. to it i can't um, wait to listen to it i haven't heard that one yeah, it's equal time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. I mean, there was one, this is a, like a perfect example. We've gotten some very high profile people in the Washington world and in the Beltway. Um, we've spoken twice to the uh, chair of the COVID-19 equity task force mm-hmm. from the administration. We've spoken to uh, the secretary of agriculture on black farmers. Uh, we have spoken to one of my favorite is we spoke to someone uh, who is head of police union, why the law enforcement was, is so supportive of pre-K three. Um, hmm. And they really believe that pre-K three, um, if there's universal pre-K three, it, it will help stem crime. And I thought that was, that's a really, you know, a lot of people have covered law enforcement lately. A lot of people sure. have covered, you know, universal pre-K, but Mary were able to look at the slice of why that matters. Mm-hmm. And especially for uh, communities of color. So I, I do think that we've made a contribution in a way that is just different and mm-hmm. significant. And that for me editorially, that's my bar. I can't wait to, I can't wait to listen to it. And I, I love that you're sort of, I mean, really sort of seeing, I mean, if there ever was a clear or crystal ball in Washington, I don't know that there is, but I, I think that you're seeing the seeing the trends and sort of trying to anticipate them and then build this great content that is um, is just, I mean, it's exciting. It's, it's great for people like me who is a consumer of podcasts and wants to hear more. So I'll be sure to, to listen in to that. Joanne, we're getting to the end at our 30-minute mark, and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about who else in the newsroom or who else that you've worked with that you think might be a worthwhile guest for the future. Uh, So I would say Mary. 
who's the host of Equal Time. She's phenomenal. She's a columnist at CQ Roll Call. And she's been in this business a long time, was formerly New York Times. And um, her columns are fabulous. I mean, I know if you're looking for someone, um, I know lots of people outside the newsroom as well, Mm -hmm. but it depends what you're looking for. Mary would be... Mary would be a great start. And by the way, um, the the loop is open. So if you think of others and you or you you know bump into somebody and say you should do that podcast, I'm right here and I'm happy to have any recommendation from you because I know that you're meeting with lots of really thoughtful journalists and folks uh, every single day. Sure. I mean, if you if you even if you send me an email at some point to just sort of say like what what's the topic that you want to cover? Like, is it about like you said, pitching or columns or, you know, um, I'm assuming it's not always about podcasting. So if you give me just even a, a list of some of the themes you'd like to cover, mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to. Well, cause you're in the, you're in the guest, people. you're in the guest booking business too. So you know that sometimes right. you have to sort of think outside the box. Well, I'll do that because I could really, I mean, you've been at this for a minute and I'd be really grateful for your perspective and thought, Joanne, I am just so glad that we had a chance to visit today. Thanks so much for being with me. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, talking to me and thanks for sort of going off the deep end into the COVID world too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're at it for a while longer, but I sure am glad to know that you're out there doing, doing all the same fights and, 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 you know, doing everything you can to, to keep us moving forward. So thanks again, Joanne. Okay. Thank you. And that's today's Friday reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things, public relations, Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.